Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! And hopefully joining us later on will be Simon Weir. In each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great pass! He's done it! And this week we're joined by TV sports producer and Aberdeen fanatic, Ali Begg. Welcome, Ali. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for having me on tonight. Thank you. It's a pleasure, pleasure to have you, Ali. You're very welcome on to the show. Thanks. So how's the situation out in Doha at the moment? To be honest with you, we're, we're actually okay. Um, the government have uh, handled it very well. Mm-hmm. We are now into our second month of lockdown with really, like you guys, no end in sight. Um, From my own personal point of view, I've been at home now for a good few weeks. My children have been at home for a a good couple of months now, as has my wife. Hmm. So we're just getting on with it. I'm personally uh, just fully concentrating on the homeschooling at the moment. Um, My wife is still working. Thankfully, I have a very understanding boss who has allowed me to just concentrate on the homeschooling. Because trust me, that is a, a... that's a full-time occupation in itself. Yeah. So, but we're doing absolutely fine. Just having to be very careful, obviously, of what we do and where we go. Um, but we have guidelines, and the government here have been very good and very strict and mm-hmm. been excellent with their communication. So, we're just waiting patiently for it, hopefully, to all get better and the world can become a better place again. Well, that that is the hope, though, isn't it? That it doesn't just go back to the way it was before. That we, mm. you know, take this as a sort of wake up call for a lot of the things that you know we need to take on from it. So, yeah. listen, what we've um, we've picked out a shoot magazine for you, and it's from the twenty sixth of November, nineteen eighty three. Now, we've already had a quick chat about this, and there's a few little things in here which are quite. Um, nostalgic especially for you so we'll get to them as we do so we'll start off at the front cover so we've got mike robinson of liverpool with the title robinson and anfield hit stars give their verdicts so mike is wearing the liverpool umbro kit with pinstripes and a v-neck collar it's got short sleeves with a small crown paint sponsor now i'm sure the size of this changed throughout the season as there was um tv sponsor requirements back then about the size of a sponsor so I think I mean this is a tiny one, but I'm sure I've seen other photographs where it's it's a you know a, a, what we consider now a normal size um, sponsor size. Do you remember anything about that, Tom or Ali, about the about there being that stipulation about the sponsor logo size? Yeah, no, I'm sure there was something about how it was reduced for for uh, for television. Yeah, mm. um, yeah, and what I, I seem to remember about when teams had sponsored shirts was not every player had the sponsor's logo on the. On the, the shirt, sometimes you would see a, a team and there would be like four of them wouldn't have the sponsor's logo on. That is a, a cracking Liverpool strip. And that, it's an absolute belter. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of the, the you know, the, the Umbro pinstripe 
I mean, Aberdeen had the pinstripe um, as well, sort of around this area. Era, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's just a classic look as well. Just as well, it's got the white piping on the shoulder kind of thing, and the pinstripes start for the, the piping and don't go all the way up to the, the, the collar kind of thing, up to the neck. It just makes it look, and it's not in the sleeves either. It was just a great look. I mean, pretty much every Umbro shirt of the 80s, though, was, was, was terrific. Yeah. It was just such a great time for, for, for football strips. Yeah, I mean, the, short, the shorts are wet as well were quite quite short, but that uh, really shiny material, which I, I don't know what we'd call that material, you know, those shorts that were sort of really reflective. But yeah, it's a really, really good strip. Other things about the front page, 33 pence, it is. One for Ali here. The Super Cup, Aberdeen's Avengers. So there's a bit in there about Aberdeen meeting Hamburg. Um, there's a black and white photo of Kerry Dixon with the title, The Chelsea Revolution. Um, now just on that, the very fact it's black and white on the front of a colour magazine, it just seems a bit strange as well. And Mike Duxbury, United Silent Stars. So the copy, the copy I've got, I don't know if that's a copy I scanned, but at the top it's got the name Johonston on it. Is that the same one that I've sent you, Ali? Uh, no, there's no name. Nah, well, this one, this no. one has... It's got Johan, but they've actually misspelled it. So they've got J H O N S T O N. So we, we when we had um, Sanjeev Kohli on, he he was talking about this, um, how that you know that was the way in news agents they would put the names of the people who were picking it up on it. So Johanston. Ah, right. I I know. I get you. Okay. Right. Because my my dad used to subscribe to Shoot Magazine for me, so I used to get Shoot Magazine. It used to come through. I think it was every Wednesday or Thursday, if I remember correctly. And it always came with the, the evening newspaper. Mm-hmm. I used to always look forward to getting it. And I would always look out for the newspaper boy who, who would deliver it. So now I understand what you're talking about because the name Beg yeah. is always written right at the very top. So obviously they knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. So um, going on to page two. So there's, there's um, Protect Strikers, which I, I quite enjoyed this one. So this is from Shoot itself, and they discuss a recent collision between Southampton keeper Peter Shilton and Norwich star Mick Channon. Shilton was angry at the challenge, but Shoot say, So often the goalkeeper is an overprotected species, and the poor attacker finishes up with a swelling bruise and no punishment for the keeper. Now Mick Channon is described as one of football's most gentlemanly players, who has taken the rough with the smooth throughout his career. And Channon said, I've got scars all over my body where I've been whacked by keepers. I haven't complained as I've just accepted it's part of the game. Shilton should do the same. And should also in this article refer to the Harold Schumacher challenge on Battiston in the 1982 World Cup as testimony yeah. that strikers need just as much protection from goalkeepers. So I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm goalkeeper union myself, um, but for years I know goalkeepers get overly protected, and that's. In the modern game, you know, we're going back to 1983, the same level of protection wouldn't have been there then, but for, for it still to have been a problem that they bring up, it must have still been a lot of protection back then. Um, but I, 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 I quite like, I, I like Mick Channing's sort of, I get whacked, I get on with it. Just get on with it as, as well. Old school. Yeah. Proper old school. So it's not like Peter Shelton to have a wee moan either, is it? <laughs> 
So on, on on pages two, so that was on page two, but across pages two and three, there's an article that looks at this Liverpool striker, Michael Robinson, who was on the front cover, and talks to four First Division defenders who have faced him. So the, the players that they talk to are Billy Bonds of West Ham, Mal Donaghy of Luton Town, Sean Elliott of Sunderland, and Dave Watson of Norwich. Now Billy Bonds uh, says Robinson scored a hat-trick when they met in the day Bonds made his 700th appearance for West Ham, ruining his big day. So not great memories there for Billy Bonds. Mal Donaghy says Robinson didn't score, but Liverpool won 6-0, and he caused Donaghy endless trouble by his tireless running. Uh, Sean Elliott uh, says they drew with Liverpool, but Elliot thinks Robinson will score lots of goals. And Dave Watson says, give Mike time and he'll score a lot of goals. And he also says that Robinson was a handful in Liverpool's 1-0 win. So Michael has sadly passed away from cancer on the 27th of April 2020 this year. And so we'd like to take this opportunity to look into his career a bit more. So Michael Robinson, born July 1958, and his teams started at Preston North End. He had a spell at Man City before moving on to Brighton Hove Albion, and they moved on to Liverpool, Queen's Park Rangers, and then finished his career playing at Osasuna. Now, he settled in Spain after retiring in 1989 and went to work on as a television pundit in the following decades, hosting El Dia Despues from 1991 to 2005. So that's a huge stretch of time to, to be presenting a show. But while at Brighton, it was Robinson's pass that led to the famous miss from Gordon Smith. So that Smith must score. It was actually him who put it on a plate for him. And that was an FA Cup final in 1982-83. And he was signed from Brighton to Liverpool for £250,000. He then moved to QPR in 1984 after featuring on the bench at Liverpool more than he talked. And he moved from QPR in January 87 to Osasuna. And he retired in the summer of 1989 at the age of 31 after making 58 La Liga appearances for the club, scoring 12 goals. Now, on his settling in Spain, he once said, I came over on the 7th of January 1987. I didn't know if I was going to be here forever. But something strange happened. I enjoyed more or less everything about Spain and the way the Spanish interpreted life. I finished up realising that I had loads in common with the Spaniards. We laughed about the same things, cried about the same things. Now interestingly, Robinson also did voiceover work on TV adverts as well as feature films where he voiced the ugly sister in the dubbed Spanish version of the Shrek films. How great is that? That's a great wee piece of information about him there. So, Michael Robinson, very, very sad news. Actually, I had a wee check in some of his goals at Liverpool, and I think they showed something like 13 goals, and I would say every one apart from one was inside the box, and probably the majority of them were like six, seven yards from the goal. So, you know, that just suggests that he's a, a bit of a predator rather than a, a long-range finisher. So I put together a wee compilation of uh, some of his, his moments. Yeah, ball played forward to Robinson. Robinson going forward strong. He's inside the Manchester penalty area. He finds Smith, and Smith must score, and he hasn't scored, and Bailey has saved it. Well, the wind has really carried that an enormous distance. Bond's in trouble. There's Robinson, and Liverpool take the lead. Michael Robinson. And again, Sonis. This time for Dalglish. He's got Rush waiting in the middle. Off the post. And it's in there by Robinson. 
Michael, a lot of people, I think, courtesy of ITV, watching their first Merseyside derby. What was it like for you to play in one for the first time? Oh, it was fantastic. The atmosphere was marvellous. It was a great reception as the two teams came out, you know. Um, it was, it was marvellous. It was just a great spectacle, I think, and uh, to take part in it was a privilege. It was smashing. Were the Liverpool players surprised at Everton's tactics with virtually five in midfield in the first half? I don't think we pay much attention to size tactics. I think we try and get it right ourselves. Pass the ball to another and let them worry about us. I don't think we were concerned for a moment about Everton's tactics or how they might play. Um, we were just, as I say, concentrating on ourselves and trying to get it right as Liverpool. We were joking before the game about whether you might get a goal or not. And to your great moment, Julie arrived. Tell us about it. I can't remember it, really. Uh, Phil Neal plays the ball in and I'm just a bit tired of the back post. Kenny managed to get the ball across and uh, I stuck it in to the post. I was in the wrong position, I think, really, but anyway, it's gone in and I'm delighted with it. How are you feeling settling in at Anfield? Um, well, every game's a big game. It's something that's uh, very new to me. Every game seems, well, this is the one, lads, we've got to win this one, and then the next week it's the same again and the same again. Um, I don't know what day it is. I just come to, come to train and, you know, hope I get selected and, and just play the game. It's... Uh, it's all up in the air. Every game's a very big game for us, and I'm enjoying it. But as for settling in, I think it's presumptuous for me to say whether I'm settling in or not. That's for other people to judge, I think. But certainly I'm enjoying it. Michael, thanks very much indeed. See that? Um, I've got a 1983 FA Cup final programme, which is signed by Gordon Smith, and he has signed it with the words, Smith must score. Oh, man, brilliant. He's not going to thank Mike Robinson for that pass now, is he? He's not going I know. to thank him. The uh, thing is, uh, Gunsmith did score in that FA Cup final. He scored the opening goal in that FA Cup final, which largely gets forgotten because he yeah. missed that glorious chance in the last minute at extra time, which obviously would have, would have won it if he'd put that in. And it looked, I, 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 sorry, I remember Smith saying he was only up there uh, just in the off chance that there was a rebound because he thought Michael Robinson was going to go all the way himself. But just in that wee clip we looked at there, Smith absolutely looked in perfect position. I think play, playing the ball through to him was, was, was the right pass. But we, we've, I know for a fact we've spoken about this before. It wasn't even a really bad miss. It was a, it was a good save and it, was, it wasn't it was like a, a Van Vossen miss Van or something Vossen. like that. It was it was a decent chance. You know, you, you would hope to score it if it was a Bailey, wasn't it? He yeah. came out and he, he, was, he pounced on it. So I, I think he's been hard done by. I, pers I personally have, I, I do remember Michael Robinson as a player, predominantly for Liverpool. But when I started in sports broadcasting, I remember when I was living in Singapore, we used to occasionally get the shows from Spain and he was a pundit and he was, he was excellent. Oh my goodness, he was such a good pundit. He just had this really nice rhythm to his voice. There was no umming, there was no ahhing, there was no awkward pauses. It was a constant flow. And he sounded so authoritative with what he was saying. And after he sadly died, I was just looking through some of the tributes to him. And I think the fact that the Spanish president um, tweeted about him um, just tells you everything that you need to know, the Spanish prime minister. Uh, he said... Pedro Sanchez, he said he was with us on thousands of afternoons of football, recounting incredible anecdotes and showing us a way of life beyond football, which I just thought was a lovely thing to say. Luis Garcia was tweeting about him as well. 
And it was quite, it's quite obvious that he was held in such high regard, especially amongst his peers. But football fans who grew up watching Spanish football on TV from sort of the 90s onwards, um, all absolutely adored Michael Robinson. And I, and I think uh, he's, a, he's a terrible loss, obviously, to, uh, to his family and to sports journalism as a whole, where he really excelled. So sad. I mean, I've, I've nothing but the, the utmost admiration for anybody who decides to go to a foreign country to learn a new language and to, to basically put themselves out there takes a lot of courage and a lot of determination to do that. I read that he was fluent in Spanish. I've that, that most respect for him for that. Yeah, me me too, because, you know, my wife is Austrian and I've been trying to learn German for a number of years now and I am my own worst enemy because I, I should do an awful lot more than what I actually do. But learning a new language is really, really difficult. So I have the utmost respect that he took time after he retired to really master the language so that he was able to put himself in a position where he could go to sports broadcasters and basically say to them, look, I've learned the language, I'm now pretty much fluent, and this is what I can offer you. And I, I just, I think it's fabulous. And I think I'm going to learn from that in my own personal life from going forward, that I really want to master the language. And uh, it just shows a bit of hard work and a bit of dedication will get you so far. I was going to say just before that was, as you mentioned, Ali, the the love that he has by so many different people in Spain and, and throughout the world for his for his punditry and his hosting and things like that. And I was just thinking it's, it's so difficult to, to find someone like that, that that people enjoy watching because, you know, with social media and things like that, it's so easy for people just to, to find the negatives about hosts and pundits. And, and I know I'm guilty of it myself with some of them, that, you know, when you do find somebody who you actually, it's like, this person doesn't annoy me. This person, I'm I'm quite, ha- I'm, I'm really happy to sit and listen to them. The, so I, I just think that that's probably a measure of the man. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Um, loved by everybody. And I think you'll be very, very sadly missed. Hmm. See, I, one thing I remember about Michael Robinson, because obviously he played for Ireland, but uh, he was uh, born in uh, Blackpool. But what he, di- what he discovered was apparently he, he didn't actually qualify for Ireland because it was a grandparent rule and he didn't have an Irish grandparent. It was his great-granddad. But he discovered that if your grandparent was Irish, you could apply for an Irish passport. So obviously his mum's granddad was Irish. So he asked his mum to apply for an Irish passport. And as soon as she got an Irish passport, that meant his mum was Irish and he could then play for Ireland. So it was an interesting way that he'd find a wee loophole there to get to become qualified for Ireland. It's just something that that I, I remember. From, uh, from 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 a few years ago that he mentioned it in an interview somewhere that he'd found out just a wee, a wee way of getting a you know becoming qualified for Ireland because obviously he'd been overlooked for England yeah. apparently he'd been told he was getting in the England team and then he ended up in, in a B squad and uh, the reserves for a B squad kind of thing and he sort of gave up the idea. Did we see how many games how many games he played for Ireland? Did he play a few? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I'm sure he played. I'm sure he played a good a good few. Oh well, good on him. 24, 24 caps he got for that. Well, that's, a, that's a decent haul for that, so that was a good effort. Okay, we're on to page four, and this is UEFA Cup third round preview, and it's 
uh, Forest versus Celtic, and it says Clough says it's fantastic. So Forest twice European Championships against Celtic, the pride of Scotland, with two European Cup finals to their credit, and the first British club to win the trophy in 1967. After hearing the draw, Brian Clough said, This is a fantastic tie, one that guarantees two excellent gates and two excellent matches. It's a long time since we had a sellout at City Ground, and I'm looking forward to just that when Celtic come to town. I don't plan to watch Celtic before the game. If I did, they would probably frighten me. One thing is for sure, Celtic won't be short of backing in either game. And Celtic's Pomix Day previews the game later in the magazine. I mean, obviously, there's a few things to pick out from that. You know, it's firstly the long first time that they'd had a sellout at the city ground for quite a while. Um, mm. The fact that he's not going to watch them before the game, I don't know if that's just mind works from from Cluffy. That sounds like something he he would do. I think I'll maybe pick up on it later as well. I think the the Celtic game there was maybe the first full house at Celtic Park since the Real Madrid game two years previous as well. Which again was quite quite an interesting thing from that as well. You know, nowadays you just okay. Then there's not games where it's full, 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 but it's normally right up at the very top. You know, it's it's right up near the capacity. So as I say, Paul McStay will have a little preview of the the game in his own little column as well. So we're on to page five here, and it's star writer Trevor Francis of Sampdoria talks about the European Cups. Now on Aberdeen, he says. Aberdeen, who beat Real Madrid in last term's final, won't release a cup winner's cup without a fight. The dons with players such as Eric Black, Peter Weir and the fabulous Gordon Strachan will take some stopping. Especially now manager Alex Ferguson is staying after rejecting a move to Rangers. I've never played against Aberdeen. Come to think of it, I've never played against any of the Scotland's top four. Maybe I'll get my chance with Sampdoria next season. Now, on the Celtic Forest game, Francis says, no disrespect to the other British team, but I want Forest to win the trophy. Now, these were the, the glory years, Ali, for, for Aberdeen. You know, and just being talked in that sort of manner there, you know, gushing praise for, for Gordon Strachan and picking out players like Eric Blank, Peter Way, and he, he could have picked out a lot more than that as well. Yeah. It was, a, it, you know, if, if you think about it, only a, a few months later, after, and I know we'll discuss it after Aberdeen did win the Super Cup. You know, we were ranked number one in Europe mm-hmm. at the time. Um, obviously, got voted uh, best team in Europe, but we were ranked number one in Europe. So you can see why Trevor Francis is really gushing about Aberdeen at the time. And you just have to talk about those players that he mentions there. You know, these guys are all my heroes. Yeah, Peter Weir, yeah. Gordon Strachan, Eric Black, just unbelievable players from from an era that I was very fortunate to grow up in mm-hmm. and an era that I will obviously never forget about. So, but it's interesting because Trevor, I've got to know Trevor quite well over the years. He is a regular visitor to Doha, comes on our, yeah. sh- comes on our shows quite a lot. And we like to call him the professor because his, his knowledge of football is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And he's one of those guys where he's a, he's a, in my role as a producer, he's a producer's dream. Because you know that your host will ask him a question and he will really give you a detailed answer, which means that you get maybe two or three minutes to collect your thoughts about where you're going to go next with the program. So from my point of view, he's, a, he's an absolute dream to have on our programs. And what I like about him as well is that he will uh, 
offer tips and advice about what we could possibly talk about at half time and full time as well. So he really likes to get himself involved in the production side of things. Um, so I just just through that became quite friendly with him. Um, and he's a lovely, lovely man. He really is a nice man. Um, not seen him for a wee while, but uh, I hope to see him out here again quite soon. Yeah. Okay, so we're just going to move on to page six here. So page six is the start of the adverts so the, there are quite a few adverts in this magazine um but i think the fact that it's november sort of tells us that this is the start of the the christmas push for uh, presents so and i've, I've mentioned this to you so on, on this page we have two adverts and it's two of the greatest adverts i've come across in all of my collection the first one is for a game called snorker and we'll, we'll focus on that before we go to the second one so snorker £29.50, the great new game of the 80s. The new snooker conversion kit. So play this great soccer game on your existing snooker table. Uh, it says, send no money right now for your free colour brochure. Now, the the picture here, so it's basically, snooker is basically, it's a game that you play on a snooker table and it looks as though you use your cue to hit players that hit a ball to try and score a goal. It's, it's, it's like the snooker's version of Sabutio, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead of flicking it, you're, you're, you're hitting it with the cue. Now, I, I, um, I, the, there's a previous advert to this where it is a full snooker table and stuff. So this is a conversion kit. So this is something that will turn you... I mean, by the looks of it, it's something that goes right along the, the edges and covers the pockets, apart from the end bits um, where, where the goals go in. So... I'm assuming you then the kit must include the the they're not quite balls, but see I often wonder do they have like a ball bearings or something underneath it that can allow them to roll? Do you know what I mean on on the, the on the table? So when you like when when you hit that player with your snooker cue, how does it then move and hit the ball, or are you hitting the ball off them? There's just so many questions about this. It could it really could potentially have been the greatest game. It says in the great new game of the eighties. I think it, it it could potentially have been. The question being why wasn't it? And maybe it's because they've just missed out on a couple of little tricks. So is, is it something you've came across? Not me personally. No, I've, that's the first time I've seen it. Right. Wish I had though. Yeah. Um. What I love though as well. So so. The picture here, it's a drawing, you know, it's a pretty decent um, lifelike drawing and it's got four youngsters, three of them look like brothers, one of them could be a dad, but, and there's a wee girl as well, and they're all wearing these t-shirts, and one says, snorker rules okay, the other one says, queue up for snorker, then the other one says, queue up for snorker, and the other one says, queue up for snorker. I'm just thinking if they've got four t-shirts, they could have come up with four different slogans, you know, right, they, right. Could, they could have put some effort into that, I think. I love the I love the boy on the, the left hand side, whose whose body is sort of half turned, with his is what is it is his left elbow resting mm. on his right <laughs> fist, which has come across, <laughs> and he's like he's, he's he's almost looking at like as if that's a really good shot you've just played there. Yeah, um, snooker, the game that should have been for me, without a doubt, uh, twenty nine pound fifty isn't cheap at all though, just for a conversion kit. So you've got to have had the, the snooker table already. 
Now underneath that is there's been a few there's been a few moments in my collecting. So I collected the cards, football cards and stuff when I was a wee boy, and then they got put away, and I got them when we were older, and that's what started this collection again. So after that, one of the things that made me start collecting the magazines was actually, and you've seen it, it's a Aberdeen team group, but they're all in a Scotland mm. strip. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, I, I saw this online, and it, was a, it was, wasn't a great quality, and I'm like, I need to find that, I need to find where that came from to get a better quality of it. And it turns out, I got it in a magazine, a shoot magazine, but it was in a group of like 200 magazines. And I'm like, right, okay, just to get that one magazine, I've got these 200. And this advert, this very advert here, was the similar sort of moment for me. It was like, wow, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. Yeah. When I opened up and I saw it and I just thought. So it is for a, a Walkman or a, a Ferguson personal stereo. And it's got a, a, a photo of quite a sultry-looking woman lying on her, her side. She's leaning on her arm. Do you know, Andy, if you look at her closely, she looks like a very young Judy Murray. <laughs> okay. There's somebody else. I think <laughs> I'm not saying she doesn't, but there's somebody else I just had in my, my head there that she reminds me of. Um but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it's a sultry. It's quite a sexy pose. She's she's um, she's leaning on her arm. She's got a, the headphones on. She's got the Walkman, which is not a small thing. It's about the size she's of enjoying her. the music. Yeah, and it says you're never alone with an escort. Um, so so the Ferguson escort personal stereo, but it's just that line. You're never alone with an. I mean, there's a lot of innuendo in there, Genius. isn't there? Um, Genius. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bro. But the it sells the FM so there's a the cassette version of it, but there's also a cassette with the FM stereo. So you can get for nineteen pound ninety five, you get just the tape player. But for twenty nine pound ninety five, you get the tape with the FM stereo, which is you know, just imagine that that's um and it says and it, it you can it comes in an attractive gift pack that's ideal for Christmas. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say so. For the price of a smoker, you can also get the same price for a Ferguson Escort Walkman. What are they both? $29.95 for the for the Walkman and $29.50 for the smoker. What's a toss-up, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I've no idea what the going rate was for an Escort back then, generally. generally. <laughs> um yeah, call, call me old-fashioned. Neither did I. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even known what that's that's what it meant back then. Yeah, exactly. See, that's exactly. the thing though that 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 advert would have flown right over our heads. That was an advert oh, for the totally. dads, wasn't it? You know that when, when this magazine was was published, I was eleven years old, hmm. so wouldn't have a clue what the innuendo <laughs> was about there. Yeah. I wonder if my fa- I, wonder, I, I guess my, my father did. Um, I might have had a chuckle if it seemed something like that, but <laughs> I wouldn't have had a wouldn't have had a clue. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how many children got a a personal escort in their their um, Christmas <laughs> presents that year. Say, so, aye, come on, Dad, come on. <laughs> um, so, as I say, two two of the the greatest um, adverts on the single page there, um, both black and white. I'd love to have seen them in colour. Um, so mm. moving on to page seven, we've got another star writer here, and this is Brian Robson. 
It says, TV fanatic, that's me. Now, there's a lot going on here, but the reason I'm focusing on this because um, something that came up. So he says, I've been a television fanatic since England won the World Cup in 1966. Now, this reminds me of a recent tweet, and you may have seen it, where it was pointed out that Bobby and Jack Charlton's dad didn't actually see his boys win the World Cup final in 1966 as he was down the mine working in the Hearst no. Colliery. Seriously? He was only told the score when he came to the surface. No way. Yeah. Thanks to wow. Dan Jackson for that information. Can you imagine that? Your, your, your two boys are playing in the World Cup final and you're away to work down the dump pit. It's a, it's a different world, isn't it? You see, that's the, kind, that, that's, the kind, that's the kind of story that deserves more. It deserves more airtime. Yeah. It deserves more columns in a newspaper or a magazine or a blog or whatever. Because mm-hmm. these, the these are the type of stories that, you know, a, a younger generation should be educated about. Yeah. Um, because for me, that, you know, when England won the World Cup and the stories that you hear in and around it, and there's a famous photograph uh, also, that, that uh, for me is synonymous with Bobby and Jack Charlton. It's the one where they're playing in the back alley, they're playing football with their mother the mom, yeah. in the back alley um, where they used to live and where they grew up. Um, and again, you just you never see it these days, do you? There's, there's one of the one of the photos we spoke about this with Sanjeev Collie as well, and I posted that there's a photograph of his mum going up for a header with them. I think that's the photograph. Yeah, I think that's it's the very absolutely same photograph. amazing. I absolutely I know. Just, I mean, it's like the, the sort of, you know, lifestyle that it must have been in there, purely the winning attitude must have been there from their mum and their dad. But going back yeah. to the their dad being there, you're absolutely right about it needs more. I mean, the question's got to be asked is, you know, was it his choice to go down? Did he, or did he think, well, you know, Maybe it was a bit stubborn sort of things. These are all suppositions, but you know the, the question. There's loads of questions to ask there. It's, it could, it could even be one of those where he had no choice mm-hmm. but to go down the pit because he's got to earn the money. Or maybe you could spin it another way that maybe he didn't want to watch the game because maybe he was too nervous about it. Did he even have a TV back then? You know, all that. There's so many questions, right? I'll tell you what, what we'll do is, um, as I say, it was Dan Jackson who went and told us that information. I'll, and I'll I'll get in contact with him and see if there's any more information mm. about that because it certainly would be one to to find out about. So we're on to page eight here and there's a shoot stroke brawn fan of the week. Now this is a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. I'm, I'm not going to go through the, the text on it. That. I just want to focus on the photograph. So this is 22-year-old Gary Walker and it says that Sheffield Wednesday's determined bid to gain promotion from the second division in this season has left 22-year-old Gary Walker with a broad smile. You would never know it from the photograph there. Plus, this is 22-year-old. I mean... What a moustache that is, by the way. How can any... The only people that can grow a moustache like that when they're 22 years old are, are the, the Saudi Arabian football team that won the World <laughs> Cup back in the day. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. That is something to be. That is something to be very proud of. I have to say, it's a bit of a bowl, a bowl cut haircut going on as well there. <laughs> and he's got that. He's got that a uh, tracky top. You know, he used to fold down <laughs> the collar as well. Yeah. Proper soccer casual that day. Yeah, brilliant. I just love. I love things like that where it's yeah, 
people. I mean, this is the thing. People nowadays are just so used to taking photographs and preparing for them, and you know, getting your best side and things like that. Yeah. Back yeah. then, it's probably just like. Like, that's, a, that's a that's a photo booth shot, isn't it? In the in, in, yeah. in the local station yeah. where you have to wait for ten seconds before it takes your picture. That'll be for his young <laughs> young person's rail card. That'll be for that. <laughs> right, we're on to it's on the same page. We've got an article here on Billy Thompson. So it's Billy Thompson is smiling under fire, and it's St. Mirren keeper Billy Thompson recently conceded ten goals in two games, and he was still smiling. Now Billy says it sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? But at the same time, Jock Steen still had enough faith in me to include me in his international squad for the European Championship match against Belgium a few days later. It's marvellous to be involved in the international scene, and it's also nice to know Mr Steen wasn't going to leave me out when things were getting a bit rough. Now The 10 goals came in a 5-0 defeat to Rangers in a League Cup tie, followed by a 5-0 defeat to Aberdeen in the league. And Thompson says, I prefer to forget those games. Yeah, really. I don't think there was much I could do in either game. It was almost one-way traffic in both matches. Now, Thompson's contract expires in the summer. Man United have had him watch this cover for Gary Bailey. Uh, former St Mirren manager Ricky McFarlane, who quit this season, put a £750,000 price tag on Thompson when Crystal Palace came calling. And Tom, um, McFarlane says, I thought that was a fair figure considering the transfer market at the time. Thompson would have been worth every penny. He has the talent to go to the top. His temperament is first class. He has good hands, is brave and commands his penalty box well. The, the article says Thompson's biggest disappointment so far was his omission from the Scotland 1982 World Cup squad. And he says, yes, I was choked at the time, but that's the way it goes in football. You've just got to get on with the game and push your disappointment to the side. Now, yeah, t- 10 goals in two games. And he says, I prefer to forget about those games. Yeah, I can imagine. £750,000 price tag that Ricky McFarlane put on him. Now, Billy would actually stay at St Mirren before moving to Dundee United in June 1984 for £75,000 after a fallout with Alex Miller. So, it was, you know, quite a big difference. I mean, it did, st- it did seem as though there a few clubs he was at, certainly at St Mirren, that a lot of it, he, he just wasn't happy. Um, there was always you know, want to move on. Certainly, we, we spoke about him at Partick Thistle. He made one appearance at Partick Thistle and he was sold for, I think, fifty or 55000 to St Mirren while he was still Alan Ruff's understudy and he'd only made one appearance and that was some, you know, some fee back then, 1978, to pay that amount of money for a goalkeeper that was second to Alan Ruff. But St Mirren, so, he, he was 317 appearances in total. He made 206 league appearances between 78 and 84. He played 165 times for Dundee United, played twice on loan for Clydebank, and he moved to Motherwell, played 52 league games there, 6 league games at Rangers, and 25 league games at Dundee. I always assumed he played a, a bit more than that when he was at Rangers. I know, I certainly know he played um, in the, was it the 5-0 or the 4-0, 5-0, the Juventus, hammered Rangers in one of the Champions League games at Ibrox, and I think he was in goals that day. Um, he's got 10 under 21 caps, 7 full caps, and he's got 1 Scottish League 11 cap. And interestingly, he collected all his international caps while at St Mirren. Won't see that happen again, will we? No, no chance. It's good. I remember, I remember him as, a, as being a good goalkeeper, being a steady goalkeeper. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I posted uh, just a few weeks ago 
the Scottish Cup semi-final replay uh, 1982, um, which was which I believe was played at Dens Park, uh, where Aberdeen won 3-2. And uh, Jim Layton, to be fair, didn't cover himself in too much glory that night, but, but Billy had a shock that night. Uh, and if you if you look back at the footage, you can you can see how poor he was that that night. Um, but I just have memories of him being a good, steady, reliable goalkeeper. Uh, my memories of him are really more playing for Dundee United. Um, I remember him playing for St Mirren uh, as well. Um, I think that's where probably my memories of him first started was playing for St Mirren, and then obviously moving on to Dundee United. Uh, and I think I can, I think I can recall him playing having having a couple of games for Scotland as well. Always thought he was a good goalkeeper. I think he's the Rangers goalkeeper coach now, is he not? Um, I'm I'm not quite sure about that. If that's where he is now. I'm sure he is. Forgive me if I'm completely mistaken with that, but I'm sure he is. Hmm. So, yeah, Billy ten goals in two games, but uh, Jock Steen stood by him, and he was happy about that. Not not surprising at all. You see, this that shows again how good a, a manager Jock Steen was. How how good his man management was of players as well, because um, all that's doing there is just letting Billy know that he's still got confidence in him, um, which is, you know, it could be a bit of reverse psychology, however you want to play it, but it's just showing him, I've still got faith in you, I still believe in you, and uh, you'll always be in my thoughts. And that, no doubt, will just pick a player up and will give him confidence. So, good man management, man. No, that's a, that's a good point. I think, you know, you could quite easily say, you know, one, two bad games doesn't make you a bad player, but potentially exactly. the reaction of your manager or your international manager could make you a bad player after that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So if you do have a couple of bad games and you're left out, you're dropped, that could have a negative effect. So no, yeah. absolutely right there. So we're on to page nine and it's another star writer. So this is, I think, the third one of the, the magazine so far. Uh, it's Charlie Nicholas. So it's goals for Tony and that's Tony Woodcock and gloom for Danny, which is Danny Craney. So in this one, uh, Charlie talks about a couple of strikers currently enjoying different fortunes. Arsenal's Tony Woodcock and Wolves' Danny Craney. Now, Charlie is very gushing about Tony's ability and skill throughout the article. Um, he says he's got tremendous pace and deceptively strong and such marvellous balance. And he says, Tony and I feel we're starting to develop a good understanding. He makes it easy for me because he's always available for a pass. Uh, Charlie says that England are crying out for a top striker and they do worse than give Tony a chance. Um, now on Danny Craney, Charlie's mate, he says he's been having a tough time of it this season. Uh, he says, when I broke a leg a couple of seasons ago, Danny came in for me and, replay- and played out of this world. A lot of people expected him to step into the Celtic team as my replacement again this season, but things didn't quite work out that way. So Danny was allowed to leave Celtic for Wolves on loan. Uh, Charlie says, at the moment his confidence is pretty low, but he's still only 21 and I know he can bounce back. Danny's my best pal and we're always on the phone to each other. Interestingly in this, Charlie actually mentions that he's got he's always had a soft spot for Everton. So that, that's an interesting little fact here, considering he, he was, I mean, he was always, almost going to sign for Liverpool at one point, so that would have been interesting for him. So on, on Danny Craney, we're just going to pick out, uh, he's born in Kilsyth in Scotland. Uh, he started off with Celtic, 79 to 1983. He had 27 league appearances, scoring seven goals. He moved to Wolves 
initially on loan, but they made it permanent. So he was there between 83 and 85. 64 league appearances, only scoring four league goals. He had a loan spell at Blackpool, Brunswick, Juventus, Dundee. Came back to Dundee. Back to Australia, South Melbourne, Wollongong City. Back to Scotland for Airdrie. And I remember him being at Airdrie for a spell. Kilmarnock. Ballymena United, uh, Ross, Co- Ross County, Cork City and Bowness United. So a lot of movement about there with not a particular, I think Wollongong City, 78 league games. So 70, between 88 and 90, that seemed to be where he played his, his most football. So he didn't, as I say, he didn't seem to hang about too long at other clubs or if he did, he wasn't getting many games. He had won Scotland under 21 cap back in 1982. And I was just thinking about that to... To be in and around even the under twenty one squad back in eighty two must have been such an exciting time. You know, think you're thinking Scotland are going to the World Cup. I'm in the squad. You think is this is this you know the start for me? You know, is this a progression going up into the full squad and onto future World Cups? But unfortunately for Danny, it was not to be. Mm. So, what, do you remember much about Danny Craney? I, I got to be honest, Andy, not a great deal. I, I, I know the name and I recognise mm. the name. Um, and I remember him having the odd game for Celtic here and there. Yeah. But apart from that, I, I openly confess, I, I don't know a great deal about him. Um, like you, uh, when you said, had a few games for Airdrieonians, um, 31 games uh, in the early 90s. I, I kind of half remember that. And I do remember playing for Kilmarnock as well. So, yeah, now that, sort of talking about him the, the memory has been jigged a wee bit so but apart from just those those odd games here and there not a great deal I've got to be honest well, welcoming back Tom Brogan is, Hello. did you put 50 Aye, pence in the meter my internet went down <laughs> I've no other problem we guess put in just over a year ago no other problem and then quarter past five night it cut out and Thank like, God, Tom, because here's me getting worried you were bored of my patter. <laughs> Never, Ali. <laughs> you must have spent a full 10 minutes on Snorker, though. We did, yeah. Um, was there anything that you'd like to have said about it? Any memories of Snorker, Tom? Did, did Something that you were aware of at the time? I, I, th- I think it was. Uh, I didn't have like a, a snooker table. I had a pal who did a, who did a snooker table. Uh, I can't remember if he had anything like that, but yeah. But aye, but it just looked kind of cheap, that snooker conversion kit. So yeah. it was basically just covering up the covering up the pockets hey, of, a, of a snooker table. As I've said before, these are the kind of things you would you would look at in these adverts and kind of like, oh, it'd be amazing if you could play that, you know? And I don't think they were really that, that great. Anyway, we've, we've just finished Billy Thompson. Um, we've um, just had a, a chat about Danny Craney. Do you have any memories of Danny Craney? I, I remember him as I remember him as kind of one of those kind of new Kenny Dalglish type players at Celtic, and a sort of hot shot kid that was coming through, and he just never quite, never quite made it. Eh? But yeah, I, I tell Nicholas bigging him up because he was his, his his best pal. Yeah. So we're just going on to you're just back in time actually for for the, oh, for, the for the main bit here on page ten. So this is. Page 10, the Don's Revenge Plan. So this is the Super Cup, Hamburg versus Aberdeen, Volks Park Stadium, Tuesday, November the 22nd. Note here is the, the magazine's actually the 26th of November. So, and it would have, as, as you mentioned before, Ali, it would have come out on the Wednesday or the Thursday at the latest. So that would have been the 23rd, 24th. So 
the readers may have known the result by the time that they read this. But mm. see, I, I, I steer away from saying they would have known because back then, sometimes your only way of finding out results, depending where you are in the country, is getting the magazine open up and looking at the results page. You know, so there would have been sections of the UK that didn't know the result of that Aberdeen game until they got this magazine. But the magazine was actually out after the game. So I, I, I love thinking of that as well. You know, everything now is instant. It's instant. It's it's there for you. You know, tables are updated live and things like that. Whereas back then, you'd have to wait for something to drop through your your letterbox or something like that. You'd have to have to try and catch the, the TV, ITV News at 10 or something. Maybe be like the Scottish scores or whatever would be right at the very end. Mm. You would have to try and tune in for that or, or the radio. You'd have to get the radio at 9.02 or something. Or even more CFAX or Teletext or something like that. And you're, you're waiting, you're waiting, and you, you look away for a second and it goes past your page and then it has to go through them all again. Yeah. So the, the article here says, The burning desire to be crowned Europe's top team will spur Aberdeen to Super Cup success against crack German outfit SV Hamburg. That's a confident prediction of Dawn's keeper Jim Layton, who's pictured. Another photo shows Layton being beaten by Hamburg's Horst Hrubesch in the UEFA Cup two years ago. Now Layton says, Yes, we are looking for revenge against Hamburg and no one will be more delighted than me if we beat them. They knocked us out of the UEFA Cup two years ago and I still have nightmares about that clash. We could only manage a 3-2 win at Pataudry and it was my mistake that gave them their first goal. We missed a penalty, hit the woodwork and forced the keeper to make several good saves. They really turned it on over to their place and won 3-1 and they taught us a footballing lesson. Now Leighton reckons that there won't, be, there won't be the same difference this time and that although they are basically the same set of players, They've achieved a lot more over the previous two seasons and gained a lot of experience. So that's the Aberdeen players. Horst Rubesch will be missing from the Hamburg team this time as well. He scored both goals at Pataudry and another in the return. Also missing will be Franz Beckenbauer, who has since quit. Now Leighton says, When we played over there in 1981, we had Eric Black and John Hugh up front. Their combined ages added up to the same as Beckenbauer's. And he continues, We badly want to win this trophy. It's a chance that might never come along again. We want to show we're the best team in Europe. We've seen a bit of Hamburg on video and we won't be going to Germany just to defend. That's not our style. We want to win it so badly you can almost feel it. I tell you what, I can from this article. So as a spoiler, the Super Cup was a two-legged final with Aberdeen drawing 0-0 in the first leg in Hamburg and they then won 2-0 at Pataudry in the second leg with goals from Mark McGee and Neil Simpson. And they're, they're the only Scottish club to have won the UEFA Super Cup so far. And there was 15,000 at the Volkspark Stadium in the first leg and 22,500 at Pataudry in the return. So where did we begin with this? I was there. There we go. 22,500 at Pataudry back then must have been absolutely jumping. Uh, it's, um, it's one of my fondest memories as a child for... One or two reasons. Obviously, the first reason because we won the game over the two legs, um, and then obviously we're crowned the best team in Europe. Hence, why we have two stars above our badge. Uh, and the second abiding memory of that game is when Neil Simpson scored. Uh, I I used to go to football with my parents um, all the time when I was a wee boy from the age of 
it was eight was my first game, give or take. And uh, always with my dad. And we always used to sit in the south stand. And then as I got a wee bit older, the guy who uh, who became my best pal, he lived at the he lived in the house that was at the back garden of our house. So our gardens used to back onto each other. So Angus was two or three years older than me. And he then used to take me into the paddock behind the goal. So mum and dad would go into the south stand and then we'd split off and go around the corner and go into the paddock. But for the Super Cup, we, my dad managed to get only myself and him two tickets. So my brother was quite young at the time. So sadly, my brother missed out on all these great occasions where, where I'm extremely blessed where I went to all these occasions. So we sat in the main stand because that's the only place where we could get tickets. And we were sat... If you can picture Pataudry, you've got sort of two sections. You've got the lower section, and then you've got the section above it. And there's like a, a, um, a, a divider that goes right across the length of the, the stadium, right? Where the very final seat that comes down at the bottom, you can put your arms over, right? And you can lean your arms on the wall that goes right across. So we were sat right on the wall, and we were about... A, if you can picture the 18-yard box, maybe about five or six seats to the left of the 18-yard box. So we had uh, an unobstructed, perfect view, a fantastic vantage point of the pitch and of the game. And when Neil Simpson scored the first goal, which just came after half time, we've both come out of our seats. But my dad was always a placid um, celebrator. He'd always stand and clap politely, right? He was never one for shouting and screaming and swearing, whereas I was from quite a relatively young age by the swearing, of course. Um, but when Neil Simpson scored that goal, my dad came out of his seat like a bullet out of a gun. And I can still picture him doing it now, just punching the air through with his right fist, screaming, yes, yes yes at the top of his voice and I remember and I, again I can I can see this so vividly in my memory actually because he was to my right and I remember turning to him and actually putting my own own celebration on hold to watch him because I was so surprised by his celebration and I was like I was just kind of standing looking at him just you know as he's punching the air through really screaming at the top of the voice and uh, it was the only time they ever celebrated like that. Never saw it again. Never saw it again. It was the first time, even when John Hewitt's got the winner when we got him back, he didn't celebrate like that. Um, you know, and all the cup finals that we subsequently went to as well. Never was, your dad a, like that. was your dad a long-standing Aberdeen fan, Ali, or, or did he just go to take you? No, Tom. Actually, my dad was always a Clyde fan. Right. So my, my late grandfather, who was a, a football journalist for many, many years in Scotland before he passed away, he was a big Clyde fan as well. And he was, he was big pals with Paddy Travers, who's a, a, obviously an Aberdeen and a Clyde legend. Um, so he's always had a, a, a big affiliation for Clyde. But then when we moved to Aberdeen at the beginning of 1979, my dad used to always sort of sit and wax lyrical about this local football team who had just been crowned Scottish champions. Um, and then through that, just by me starting to become intrigued about football and um, seeing my pals who were Aberdeen fans, because we moved from Holland 
So I, I didn't really know anything about Scottish football when I was that, that age. Um, and then just through my father reading the paper and then watching Scots sport and sports scene and watching uh, an old uh, Grampian TV programme called North Tonight. And you'd get all the reports about Aberdeen sort of towards the end of the programme. And then obviously you start to get more and more intrigued and what's this and all that stuff. And then you start to hear names like Willie Miller and Gordon Strachan and Peter Weir. And these names started to, to really um, stick in my mind until I just used to pester him, pester him, pester him. Take me to football. I want to come to football. I want to go and watch Aberdeen. And eventually he relented and we, we, we went to, to Pataudry for our first game, uh, which was the final game of the 1981 season. And Believe it or not, it was Joe Harper's last ever game for Aberdeen. So that sort of, you know, to try and put it in a sort of a nutshell, that was my sort of, um, that's where my love of Aberdeen Football Club began. But the roots, we, we, we didn't have roots at all, Tom. You know, as I said, my dad was a big Clyde fan. So what you're saying there, I recognise so much what you've said there about the reaction of your dad at the game, because um, I've only, I only ever heard my dad swear twice in his life. One was when he broke his ankle. And the other was at a football game. And I was a wee boy and he took me there. And I just heard him swearing. Just as you said, I saw it, I turned around and just looked up at him. It's, it's like, well, what are you doing? You don't swear. Yeah. You don't swear. Yeah. But it's just, football does that to people. I mean, even nowadays, football can turn, you know, mild-mannered, ordinary, clever, intelligent people into raving lunatics. I, I guess swearing occasionally isn't the worst thing it can do to you but yeah no I, I feel that the so the the article as well here one of the things I love about the older articles when it's involving interviews with players is they seem to be a lot more open mm. a lot more honest about what they're saying I mean just the first thing yes we're looking for revenge I mean how many players nowadays would, would really say that that you know we're looking for nobody would be more delighted than me if we beat them and um you know, it's just you can you can you can feel the passion, feel the the desire in Jim Layton to you know for the whole team to win this. But it's just like it's not the sort of things you would you know the the stock answers that maybe you would get from a media trained players these days. And and I just like that. I like that. I doubt they would even had media training back then, Andy. You know, no, they're, they're, they're probably just not like how the the, the guys have it today. Um, you know where. Part of their curriculum is to have media training on a on a weekly basis where they bring in journalists and put them in scenarios where they have to answer questions and stuff like that and basically prepare them for how to to, to speak in front of a camera how to deal with certain questions um, but these guys they wouldn't have had any sort of media training so they're going into to an interview um, and being, as you said, completely honest. But, you know, let's be honest here. The, the, the way that the media is these days is so different to what it was back in 1983. Where I think these, these guys have absolutely no fear of, of being open and speaking honestly. Whereas now, someone can, can say something 20 seconds later, it's all over Twitter, you know, and taken out of context as well. So... Um, I find it quite refreshing. It was good. Enjoyed reading it. Yeah, the bit about Franz Beckenbauer—it's just—it's just crazy. You, you sort of think it's a different Franz Beckenbauer was in a different era, 
sort of thing, don't you? I, I don't really equate Franz Beckenbauer as just having played against an Aberdeen team that I remember so well, but there it is. He, you know, a combined age of Eric Black and John Hewitt was the same as him while he was still playing, so he, he must have been getting on a wee bit as well. Horst Hrubesch, that's that's a great name. I love that name. Do you have any memories about him, about him being a potential thorn in Aberdeen's side from way back then? Obviously, a couple of years previously, he'd scored three goals over the two lines. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, I remember the first. I remember the first games. Um, I was still, I was still very young then. I think I was only eight years old, if my memory serves me correct, when they. They first met in the UEFA Cup, but I remember it, and I tell you why I remember it because you were talking earlier about finding out results and how you found out results. So back then, it was very common for my brother and I to go to bed at a fairly early, early time. So we would be in bed, I would say about eight o'clock, half past eight at the very latest. So if there was any sort of football on on the radio, on TV, whatever. We would never, we would never be allowed to see it. Certainly, wouldn't be allowed to stay up to watch um, Scott Sport after half past, after the news at ten. So it would come on at 10, half past ten. There was no way that we were allowed to do that, especially on a school night. So the only way that we could find out the result was by running down to the breakfast table the next morning and picking up the local press and journal. Yeah, and I remember coming down after the second leg in particular, knowing that we had just been beaten three one, and it ruined the rest of my day. Um, and it was round about that time when we, we, we got knocked out of the UEFA Cup by Hamburg, and then we got knocked out of the uh, European Cup by Liverpool so heavily when we, when we got absolutely smashed at Anfield. That was the, that w- those were the first times that I can really recall starting to feel emotions about football, um, like walking to my local primary school, which only took 15 minutes, and thinking on the way, why did we lose so heavily to Liverpool? Why did we lose four goals? We don't lose four goals. And the same with the Hamburg game. Why did we lose 3-1 when we won the first game? And just, you know, that when, you're, when your brain is, sort of, is still developing, the understanding of the game and trying to work out how did we beat them in the first game, but then lost them in the second game? Um, and I suppose that's just the innocence of, of, of youth and trying to understand the game at such a young age. But I, I, I do recall it. And funnily enough, I watched the game just before we came on as well. And uh, Jim Layton was quite right. He made an absolute <laughs> howler for Hamburg's first goal at Pataudry that night. Um, but if you, if, you, if you do watch the game, I, I honestly, I implore you to watch it because Aberdeen's penalty, which Gordon Strachan missed, which would have put them 3-1 up, right? The the defender dives full length and tips it over the bar with his fingertips. What a save, by the way. Yeah. I don't think he even got booked. The ref just pointed to the spot and just get on with it, you know. But if you get a chance, have a quick look because it's on YouTube. What a save. I think it was the the the, the centre back for Hamburg that night. Dear me. Just on, on what you're saying there, have you been like from that period, are you a big thinker about football? Do you try and think of it? tactically yeah. or that or do you and it's, have you always been like that is that something that's happened as you've maybe become an adult when I was a sort of when I first started supporting the club no not not so much because I, I really didn't understand it it really wasn't until I started playing the game that I started to think about it more 
from an analytical point of view and a tactical point of view. Um, because obviously when you're playing, you get a better understanding about what's going on in the park. Um, so, but I would never go to a game thinking, well, why is Peter Weir playing on the right wing today and he's not playing on the left wing? You know, I would, I would never ever think about stuff like that because to be honest with you, that really wasn't in my makeup. Um, that only came when I started to get into my late teens, when I started to play sort of junior football and then started playing semi-professional football. And then when the team started to go through a really bad patch, um, you know, after, I suppose after, well, I suppose the beginning of the 90s after we won the Scottish Cup and it was just downhill from there. Um, that's when I really started to think about the game more from a tactical point of view and an analytical point of view and the calibre of players that we would bring in and, you know, the calibre of players that would leave. So that was really only when I started to think about it. But from a young age, you know, sort of 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, it was all about going to the game and enjoying the game and enjoying the magical moments that I was so lucky to have, you know. Mm, and great stuff. Right, so what, what we do at this point, you're more than aware of the focus on features that are in the magazine. So there'll be a, a famous footballer of the time will get asked some questions. So and we're going to do this with yourself. So we're going to put some questions towards you. And don't worry, none of them are too difficult. You should know the answers. So, full name? Alistair John Begg. Okay, birthplace? Berry St Edmunds. Oh, oh do, do people know about this? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> What's your first car? My first car was a Vauxhall Astra Mark 1 Sport 1.8. Colour would it have been? Red, Red. naturally. Naturally. Who's your favourite player of all time? Willie Miller. Who's your favourite team? Aberdeen. What's your most memorable match? The Cup Winners Cup final against Real Madrid. What's been the biggest thrill of your life? Doesn't have to be football. When my children were born. What's been the biggest disappointment? Bad Boys Inc. What's the best country you visited? Outside of Scotland, Austria. What's your favourite food? Okay, it's an Austrian dish. It's called backhand salat, which is basically a salad with a mix mash of everything and breaded chicken, which has been sort of fried gently. And what's that called? A backhand salat? Salat, yeah. Salat is obviously salad in German. Miscellaneous like, so just give us two things that you like doing. Blogging mm -hmm. and playing with my children. Right, good one. Miscellaneous dislikes, so just give me a couple of things that drive you up the wall. I'm not a big fan of negativity. I've never been a big fan of that. Uh, I've always tried to, to remain a positive person and put across positive vibes, even when you're sort of faced with adversity. So I'm not a big fan of negativity. Mm -hmm. Favourite TV show of all time? Oh, God. Favourite TV show of all time? That's a really good question. Dallas. Dallas, that's a good answer as well. Right, favourite singers? You too. Okay, favourite actors? Gary Oldman. Okay, who's your best friend? My wife. Who's been the biggest influence on you? My dad, my late dad. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Uh, that's a good question. 
the thing is, as much as I would like to meet him, I don't want to meet him because of that old never meet your heroes kind of thing. But if I got an opportunity to sit down with Kenny Dalglish, I would love to sit down with Kenny Dalglish. Yeah, Kenny Dalglish. Kenny Dalglish. Has there uh, never been an opportunity? Uh, there was an opportunity in um, when I was living in Singapore and um, uh, Steve McMahon uh, was a good friend of mine when I lived in Singapore because he was one of the pundits. He was one of my pundits on ESPN when I was working there. And he used to bring a lot of the old boys out for charity dinners and all that kind of stuff. And he brought Kenny out and we got invited to a dinner. And um, he was literally sat at the next table and Steve kept motioning me to come over. And I just, I came across all silly and shy and oh, like I honestly, just like, an, I, I felt like such a tool um, but I decided no, because I made an arse of myself when I met one of my heroes a few years ago. I made a complete dick of myself when I met Billy Connolly once. And he was, you know, he was one of my ultimate heroes and just went all gushy and gooey-eyed in front of him and, and just made an absolute prick of myself. And I just vowed there and then, I'm never, ever, ever going to meet any of my heroes from now on because I'm just, I'm, I'm too concerned about how I would behave in front of them. So I, I, I decided to kind of not go over it and talk to him. Um, and I'm kind of glad I didn't. I'm kind of glad I didn't. Because it's kind of left that aura about him still there. Hope that makes, hope, hope, hope that makes sense. Okay, so that, that's all the, the focus on questions. So we got through those okay. And we'll delve back into the, the magazine. So we're at page 11. So there's a full page advert here for Paolo Rossi Pony Football Boots. So the Juventus in Italy striker has joined forces with Pony Sports to create an exciting range of soccer shoes, combining Italian flair and British craftsmanship. Um, the advert shows Paolo holding one of the boots, while the main advert image is of a number of boots and trainers in the range. There are a pair of trainers at the top left and then a pair of mouldies on the right, and the rest all look like screw-in studs of various... The differences seem to be the, the length of the tongue, really, and design-wise. Pony boots weren't... Did, um, Tom, had you said before that... Was it Graham Sooners or something wore Pony, or was that...? No, that was uh, Dunlop. Uh, hang on a wee second, I've got Simon about to come in. So we've, we've just welcomed Simon onto the, the chat here. He's just come in, um, and this will this will appear seamless when it goes out. So we're, ju- we're just... Um, we're on to page 11 of the magazine and we've just um, been talking about Paolo Rossi football boots pony football boots and Tom was going to well no you were asking if it was Graham so Graham students were Dunlop Dunlop that's right uh, so I can say who no player really other than Paolo Rossi springs to mind yeah. who wore pony but uh, they were cracking boots yeah. Simon do you remember players that wore pony boots yeah was that not or did did Viale not wear them as well at some stage no. I think there's certainly an, there's an Italian theme to it I don't really remember it being much of a boot over in, over in the UK. Those ones at the bottom, the screwing studs, that's a really nice football boot, by the way. That's a really nice boot. Mm-hmm. They all look quite flexible in the, the leather as well, which is also a good thing, because quite often boots just look as if they're like a solid yeah. boat type thing, like a submarine type thing. Or something. Mm-hmm. You know, no flexibility to it. But they look as though they're, they're, they're pretty good. Probably, I think, kangaroo leather was... Was the kangaroo uppers? 
yeah, kangaroo the, uppers. Certainly the the Adidas ones used that, but I think that was the the, the leather of choice. So we're going to jump onto pages twelve and thirteen. So it's just a couple of quick colour photos. We've got one of Danny Wallace of Southampton. The other page is Robert Hopkins of Birmingham City, and he's shielding the ball from Watford's Wilf Rostron. So again, we we like to talk about the strips. Uh, Danny Wallace has got the a really classic Patrick Southampton Patrick, kit, which yeah. I, think, yeah. I think they re, they repeated that design just a couple of seasons back, didn't they? they? Did, yeah. I think with Under Armour possibly. And yeah, I I thought I thought it was really good. I really like that design. That design you can still buy, but as rugby boots. So they're like the lightest rugby boots. I saw them the other day. Actually, they're really 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 smart boots. And I think that was a Kevin Keegan tie-in with Southampton at that time. Mm-hmm. I think he was a big Patrick guy, and that's why half the team then all wore Patrick because that was the classic Southampton shirt. Yeah. So on, on the the other page, so we've got the Watford. I always lo- love Watford's colours, the, the yellow, red yeah. and black. I always thought those colours go really well together. It's Umbro top. Patrick again for the for the Birmingham one. I, I wouldn't say it's anywhere near a class. But the thing is, and this, this is what gets me sometimes. See, if you look at that, it's probably similar in design to the Southampton one, just different colours. Yeah. You know, it's, it's there's a, a bit of piping extra, but actually if the side bits, if you made those red and the arms red and the middle bit white, it would be pretty much that kit as well. But Just, just panel. But I think there's something about the Southampton strip. Just look at that. That's, that's a beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So page 14, going to jump onto it, and... Late night final, so another advert. So as I said before, you can tell it's close to Christmas. We're in November. Yeah. <laughs> so super soccer pajamas and dressing gowns, um, from five pound, including postage and packing. A collection of different teams' pajamas and dressing gowns shown are Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Ipswich, Spurs, Norwich, Aston Villa, Swansea, England, West Ham, Man United, and Watford. I'm thinking the Watford is less impressive this time, pal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. So the, there's a photograph shown for each team with kids modelling them as well. And as you say, that well, they, there's a few Watford, Norwich and the Arsenal one. I don't know whether it's just because those kids are on their own, but they look less exciting, less, you know, <laughs> they look sadder than the other ones. Yeah, there's... There's a, there's a backstory to these for this aspect, <laughs> I think, you know. Yeah, but it says other teams include Celtic, Rangers, Chelsea and Everton, so there's a few other teams in there as well. Um, anybody have any football pyjamas? Ali, I'm, I'm looking at you in particular. <laughs> <laughs> you still got them on. <laughs> uh, no, no, I never I never had any football pyjamas. Uh, my, my kids do, but I don't. No. I, I think I've told the story. I, I used to have um, these kung fu pajamas. <laughs> I told you the story. Oh, I, I, yeah, I had all that. I had the Superman and the Spider Man and the Batman yeah, and all, and all those. But these, oh, these yeah. were—it was like yellow bottoms. I remember it so well. Yellow bottoms, brown top with with the with the Oriental stitching through it, and a yellow belt round it as well. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Um, page 15, so star writer, again, so this is the fourth star writer column, Paul McStay, and he says, Nicholas will boost Celtic. So Paul McStay starts off saying, bring on Brian Clough was a chant from the Parkhead dressing room when they were told they had drawn Forrest in the UEFA Cup third round. McStay says that everyone at Celtic wants to do well and doesn't need much motivation against English opposition. He then talks about the previous round against Sporting Lisbon when they were 2-0 down from the first leg 
They blew away the Portuguese side 5-0 at Celtic Park, where they also Amazing game. another four yeah. cleared off the line. McStay says, Forest are formidable opposition. Any team that has done so well in Europe in the last few years must be respected. They've sev- several top-class players. I even had a short spell with the club as a youngster, but it was never going to sign for anyone else once Celtic came in for me. No, that wasn't something I knew. I just assumed yeah. they'd always been, you know, boys' club and all the way through. So that that'd be interesting to see what the story was behind that. Yeah. So, so Char- Charlie Nicholas's Arsenal beat Forest four one. So McStay's hoping they might get a call with hints as to how to beat them. You know, as, as a spoiler, we spoke about this earlier on. Like the game at Parkhead was Celtic's first full house since the Real Madrid game in nineteen eighty. Celtic went down to Forest 2-1 from goals from Hodges and Walsh with McLeod getting the Celtic goal. And this was after a 0-0 draw at Forest in the first leg. So the you want to talk about the 5-0 game there, Simon? Amazing. Amazing. Is that, is, is that, that's the game is, the game where they were in the it's a, it's a famous strip as well and McGarvey scores and it's, it's just one of those amazing, amazing Celtic European nights as well. And I think I was at... The Notts Forest game afterwards. I think I think it was one of my one of my first European nights there, and there was that 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 you, you, you could take on anyone because Lisbon were an amazing team at the time, and what an atmosphere that night. I, 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 I just I remember the two games, but the now the Lisbon games become so famous. I think on TV now you forget if you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've got a program upstairs. Give me two seconds. I'm going to do a talk. <laughs> I'm going to find this program. <laughs> yes, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so pages 18 and 19 there is a page um, with the, the shoot annuals um, which I always loved it you know yeah. you always used to get the annuals in your your, um, your Christmas gifts yeah. as well and there's also a shoot calendar I think as well which I never had a shoot calendar I don't I think know. it was something that my mum and dad ever considered was really worth the money <laughs> whereas the annual, the Bruins annual, or Wally, all those things, we would read and we would read and we would read. You'd definitely get your money's worth out of those. But I'm going to go into straight shooting from Jimmy Greaves, pages 18 and 19. So this is where, where readers write in, and sometimes the, the, star, the star letter will get a £10, and Jimmy will, will give his responses as well. So there's a couple I'm picking out here. So one is pay up or sell up. So the star letter comes from Romano Mella of St Martin's in Guernsey. And he wins the, the star prize, the £10 prize. And he says, I fear that John Wark and Paul Mariner are completely out of order, demanding a pay rise from Ipswich, even though they're already earning £1,000 a week. What has either player done in the past year to deserve an increase? So Jimmy Jimmy thinks that footballers have to earn as much as they can, much as they can while they can. Wark and Mariner rub shoulders with other, other internationalists that earn twice as much. Ipswich will have to pay up or sell them. I think £1,983,000 a week. I mean, it's nothing compared to today's, but it's, it's still quite a decent wage yeah. from back then, isn't it? But but I, I get I get what Jimmy's saying as well. And it's, it's this thing that, you know, they're always going about footballers. have got to earn as much as they can. It's a short, it's a short career. And, yeah. But then again, what career, what job, what you ever guaranteed longevity? There's none of them that guarantees you that. So any mm-hmm. job you're in, you could get made redundant from it you get fired without much notice and I, I get what they're saying but I also think that there's other jobs that just don't guarantee that um, longevity as well the other one is Greg's Grief so this is Mark Mahari from Banger in County Down and he writes 
Following 22 years as a player and manager at Rangers, I think it's terrible that John Gregg has been hounded out of the club he loves. Whoever takes over from him will never have as much affection for the club. Now, Jim, Jimmy's a fan, he says, I've been trying to think of a greater one-club servant than John Gregg. Even the great Tom Finney, who spent his entire career playing with Preston, couldn't match his loyalty. He's not an easy man to replace. I mean, it's always, I mean, I'm underplaying it here, it's always quite sad when people who have given their entire time to a club are got rid of. The example I give is um, when a manager gets sacked and maybe a youth coach or the, you know, the assistant who's been there for 30 years or something gets thrown in to take over. They get given the chance and it goes south and suddenly they're sacked from the club and it's like, you know, it's like 30 years plus and, and they're only remembered for those three months, six months and I always find that really sad when that happens in football. A poison chalice, isn't it? I mean, it's a coach. A coach is in as a coach. Mm. And if he's got to take over the first team because he's got the trust of the dressing room for three or four games, that is always the end, isn't it? Yeah. And they always make way for the next guy coming in. But it was, but it reminds me of a strange John Gregg story, actually, as well. I remember I was training with Clyde and they used Broadwood. And at one stage, I was in the showers alone. This is a shower story, isn't it? After my <laughs> I was alone. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around to find a fully dressed John Gregg standing beside me in the showers, asking where the Rangers boys were. <laughs> because they shared, they shared the ground. One of the most surreal moments of my life. Did they, did they find them? He did. I pointed them in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so we're going to move on to page 23 here, Ali. Um, this is another, another advert. As I say, there's quite a few through here. So page 23, Tackle Ool Sport. Now, I've had this before. I've always called them Ool Sport. Does anybody hmm. have any sort of thoughts on what the pronunciation is? I think you're right on Ool Sport. Yeah, but I always, oosh, I always do a sort of Dutch oosh sport, oosh sport. It should be almost like there's, there's, there's a little sedilla grab or something missing from it, isn't it? There needs to be something or umlaut missing mm. for it. Okay, but anyway, that 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 was that was that wasn't my real question on this anyway. So this this is oosh sports, obviously. I say obviously, but you know, it's famous for for goalkeeping equipment. Yeah. The advert here actually shows footballs, um, shin guards. Ankle protectors, there is yeah. outfield kit as well. There's a glove bag, long leg bottoms, shorts, and the goalie top. And there's also different goalie gloves. Now, the, the ones on the right-hand side there, I think, may have been the first prop, proper pairs of goalie gloves that I got. And yeah, I, I, must have been, I must have been about 18 or something. And up until that mm-hmm. point, it was all the 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 gardening gloves with the, the, the rubber pimples and stuff. The rubber, yeah, 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 yeah. But... Interestingly, down at the bottom there is um, the packets of screwing studs. studs. Now, see what I see there? That Those red ones. So mm. year, years ago, I had my um, Adidas World Cup. Yeah. And I was hunting everywhere to try and get some red studs to recreate the 1978. That's 74 look, yeah. You know? And it's like, I, I, no matter where I looked, I couldn't get red studs. And you're thinking, somebody's got to sell red studs, red yeah, nylon yeah. studs. But they didn't. That just makes me a little sad that somebody was and doesn't realise the market. Would you like a little stat? I'd love a little stat. Okay. Last year, sorry, two years, three years ago, 2017, their revenue was 67 million euros. That's an old sport, isn't it? Mm. 
isn't it? From Germany. Still going, man. Oh, they're, they're definitely, listen, they're definitely still going. Yeah, yeah. Founded in 1948. They're definitely, from my experience over my years, they've been amongst some of the best clubs. Pages 24 and 25, so we're at the centre pages here. So, new, we're at a Newcastle United team photo. Mm. The first thing I'm going to pick out in this is, and I, I hated it when it happened, is it's two full pages, but look at the size of the team photo. It's less, yeah. you know, it's less than a half the height of it, and it's not even the full length, and I just think, you know, they've got other bigger photos. Okay, the Kevin Keegan's there. They've got um, Terry McDermott. They've got Chris Waddle. But it's like, use the space for the team photo. Yeah, sometimes though, in their defence, sometimes that picture would either be two or three weeks before or towards the end of the season again, you would get a full page. Hmm. Usually on the back page or the centre pages again, you would get a big team group. Because I used to strip them all every, every single week and send them off to the clubs. So I've got I've got these hundreds of these all signed. I must I must I must do another episode someday on that. Yeah. But but when they did this, they tend to have a truncated version, so they could put the other pictures in and do a feature on the club, hmm. and then there would be a big pullout one in a few weeks' time. But, but what what I've noticed they, they they started doing as well. So obviously the the squads got bigger as well. So yeah. they ended up taking photographs from further away to get all the squad in. So you you don't get the same <laughs> sort of resolution the same sort of detail on each player but what they also did and i remember this way at crystal palace it was like they could have made it three rows and it would have been a lot tighter but yeah. they've made it two big long rows of two it's, it's little things like that and okay i get that they maybe tried to try new things but it just i think that's when you realize they've only got two gymnasium benches <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so on this um the, the team includes, so Chris Waddle's in there, Imre Varadi, um, Kevin Keegan, the manager's Arthur Cox, Terry McDermott yeah. and David McCreary, who would go on to play for Hearts between 1988 and 1991 as well. And there's, all, there's always one who's not looking at the camera. Yeah, always. <laughs> always. <laughs> Bottom left. Yeah. I can't quit. I can't make out his name. Is John, John Anderson. John really? Anderson. So, so he's one that's got his own picture as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, John Anderson. Gee, but dude, back back to see first when I saw this, I was thinking. Um, so, back to Tom's point from earlier, I was thinking, well, some of them have the Newcastle Brown star on it, and some yeah. of them don't. But it's just because it's so low down and it's so small. Yeah. It's, I think it's their arms are hiding them, or it's hiding behind the head. But if you, if you look at if you look at the ones in the team photo, and then you look at the the ones on the the larger ones, certainly the ones with the difference in size. You can actually notice. I never noticed that before. But if you look at the team photo, they're really small. But if you look yeah. at yeah, and okay, Kevin Keegan, I know wasn't the biggest, but you know, I, I don't think that would be proportional to to that. But you can see from there, these were obviously done for non televised games that they would use. Yeah. But when it was televised, then they would have the smaller ones. Okay, so jumping on page twenty six, this one will bring a wee tear to your eye, Ali. So this is this is an advert and it's dream match of the day. So the picture shows a young boy's bedroom fully kitted out in Liverpool gear. So you've got a duvet cover with matching pillowcase, you've got wallpaper, a bedside rug, a valance sheet and with netting. Teams available, Liverpool, Man United, Spurs, West Ham, Arsenal, Celtic Rangers, Aston Villa, Ipswich and Leeds United. So prices range from £3.25 for the pillowcases to £16.99 for the duvet covers. Ah, so that's a, that's a, that's how much they paid for my one. <laughs> so, that's, so that's what I was going to ask. Is anybody here 
have had any of this stuff before? Hands up. <laughs> no, I'd have loved it. There was Celtic wallpaper I wanted for years. It was great. So I, th- I think, Ali, you, you actually had this. Is that right? I had a pillowcase. <laughs> <laughs> and that is actual photographic evidence of this pillowcase as well. I don't... I, I, I can't actually remember having the duvet. Yeah. But I but definitely... Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely, definitely had the pillowcase because, as I said, there is photographic evidence which I sent to Andy before this, <laughs> before we came on air tonight. Um, and so I, I, I'm intrigued now to where my, my parents would have got this from. Would they have got it from BBC, BEC Sports in Highland Avenue in Northampton? I Brilliant. wonder. Yeah. £3.25 plus 25p postage and packaging, Ali. Oh, those were the days, eh? No expense spared, pal. Dad must have been doing well at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well enough not to get the duvet, though. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Where was the promised yeah. duvet? Exactly. It's great, though, isn't it? Maybe for the fashion stakes, he thought, no, listen, that pillowcase is plenty. Come on. The thing is, I, I was slightly perturbed because I was 18 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have it. He rests his weary, his monstrous cranium upon the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of busyness going on in that bedroom, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 it's a bit too yeah. much, isn't it? Yeah. A bit of a clash. Yeah, the, the bedside rug, the, the valance. Um, I mean, I don't see what that looks Man United about, or Liverpool about. I would say, I would say it looks more Liverpool than Man United. Just, just... <laughs> Just on first glance, <laughs> it's, his, it's his chair. Does the chair come? Is that part of it? If you look at the chair, the chair's like a wee goal net as well. Yeah. And he looks miserable. <laughs> he does. Uh... It's, not, it's not made him any happier. Yeah. He's actually wearing Liverpool pyjamas, it looks like. He does, yes. Yeah. So that was been from the previous page as well. I'm going to see if it's people. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, there's a tipper truck as well that's not included. See, I hate it when they dress stuff. It doesn't come in the package. So this is Mersey Merseywear International Limited Benfleet. So the the, the pajamas, Merseywear International Limited, based in Benfleet in Essex. So I don't know why they're calling it Merseywear, but this one is Northampton. So different places, <laughs> but um, they certainly look the same. The pajamas. So maybe maybe they just did the photo fo- the photo shoots on the same day. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's why that's why the wee models so so um so, so upset. Yeah, he's, he's been he's been there modelling all day. Exactly, uh, he hates football. <laughs> he's a boy dancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, pages twenty eight and twenty nine is cup crackers. So this is a series of drawings by Paul Trevelyan, where shoot look at six players who have produced goals at crucial moments in cup ties, and that includes Ricky Villa, Glenn Hoddle, Alan Sunderland, Terry McDermott. Kenny Dalglish and Dennis Stewart. Each one has a description of the moment along with a quote from the player along with a drawing of the player and an overhead visual of the movement and action that led to the goal. I always loved those sort of... I mean, going back, Ali sort of talking about um, the tactical view of things and that is, you know, that that was really the only ways you would see things like that, how how goals came about and the movement and things. But, oh, yeah. uh, but again, Paul Tavellian's unmistakable style in these ones. Yeah. Anybody recall any of these goals? I mean, the Ricky Villa one for me probably stands out more than any other. Oh, absolutely. Being honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's a never to be forgotten goal, that. Yeah, the, the Alan Sunderland one as well. I think it was a late, a late goal in the East. Yeah, because that was wasn't that, wasn't that the game? That was a '79 FA Cup final, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because running behind him when Alan Sunderland scores that goal, if you look closely at the footage, is Stevie Walford. He's the player that's he's the, he's the player that's actually going more mental than Alan Sunderland. Right. So if you look back, obviously Martin O'Neill's assistant at Celtic. Yeah, yeah. Is that the famous yellow strip? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Martin Buchan playing for Man United that day as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Graham Ricks. Arthur Olmiston, Lou McCarries in that bit as well. That that was the that was when um Arsenal went two up, United got it back to two two. And then Arsenal literally went up the pitch and scored the winner, didn't they? Yeah. I remember I remember watching that um probably about a year or so ago and he gets interviewed after the game, Alan Sunderland. And up until that point, I didn't know he was he was from Yorkshire. But he is so from Yorkshire. It's it's like he's just got this little, you know, squeaky not not in a bad way, but a squeaky Yorkshire voice and it's like <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. I just I just thought he was going to be a London or a geezer or something like that, but <laughs> yeah. So as I say, Paul Javelli and stuff in there as well. I mean, it was I just I love two two full pages of great artwork. Great the role. drawings are great, aren't they? They're very sort of yeah. Roy of the Rovers type. You know, they've got yeah. that movement in it as well. But it's the it goes back to the graphs and the things. The little, the little as you were saying, the tactics boards. There was the, the, we used to get Christmas books and that and that be football tactics and it would be the same thing. It'd be drawings, little drawings of how goals were done and tactics that way. I used to drink these things up. It was an amazing way to learn. Actually, it just shows you how, how different it is. If you put that in a football magazine now, you wouldn't look twice at it. It's a yeah. different kind of attention thing. We learned from that. Yeah. The, the only the only the best magazine or publication that I've seen for this, and I never got it until. I, I was collecting again. I certainly never got, you know, got it when I was a small boy. Is the Marshall Cavendish, yeah, ones? I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um, and firstly, the the content, the the articles are brilliantly written. The the, you know, the the stories behind them, the photographs. They do a lot of these. They they take apart moves and show yeah. you exactly what happened. You know, free kicks, different free kicks, and things like that. And it was just, I would have. To have the whole collection, because it is a really, it's quite a big collection, but to have had that as a small kid and just say, wow, you could immerse yourself in that. And, and there, was, there, was, so there was a great book called Football Skills and Tactics or something, something really boring title. And it looked like a school book, but it was about that thick. Mm-hmm. And it was all that. It was how to defend at corners, how to line up for free kicks. It was The Dutch books are very similar to it. You know, the, the, the Dutch training manual. They're exactly the same. But the, this was... 1983-84 these books were out here in Britain they were like school books that's that's how you learn mm. but beautifully drawn as well you know yeah so moving on to page 30 before we, before we move on uh, Andy can I ask uh, Ali can we talk mm. about your, um, your website sure you've got a, a very smart website that's uh, you've got a lot of interviews with not just with Aberdeen players but guys that played against Aberdeen as well Hmm. I just wanted you to speak a bit, just speak a wee bit about that and how you went about getting interviews and deciding who to speak to. Uh, well, the idea was actually my wife's, believe it or not. Um, so I wrote a book uh, a few years ago about my my childhood and growing up as an Aberdeen fan, and then 
I decided to sort of also tell the story about how my life evolved as an Aberdeen fan and how I was able, when I went from childhood into being a teenager and then from teenager being into an adult and how I was able to sort of work in the music industry and, and get my career in broadcasting and then how I was able to sort of forge friendships with guys who were, I suppose, typically my heroes. Um, and the book did well. I was, I was very, very pleased with how the book did. But my publisher wanted me to do a second book. And I, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't overly keen to do a second book. So because of that, I, my, my wife said to me, you should blog. And I, I openly confess I didn't really know what blogging was all about. And she said to me, you know, you've got so many great stories, you know, so many great people, um, and you should use your contacts to, to write and tell people stories because people are always interested in what you've got to say. So from that, I uh, did a bit of research and spoke to a few people that I know, um, and we decided to basically go ahead and do it. So some friends of, our, of ours out here in Doha very kindly designed it for me. And... Through that, I just started putting some feelers out and um, the feedback that I was getting was really, really positive. So I decided to sort of just jump into it. And I didn't actually appreciate at the time until, again, Miriam made me aware of it, that you can actually make a living from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you become successful, you can make a living from it. So now that I'm not getting any younger and very much thinking now, about my future and what I want to do once I decide to, to leave Qatar and, and, and move on from being sports. I think I'm at a stage in my life now where I think I want to be totally in control of my own destiny. And I think I want to just give it a go if I can really and, and try and make a living from it. So what I'm doing at the moment is just trying to set the foundations for it really more than anything else. And uh, I've honestly, a Tom, I've been absolutely blown away by the response that it's had. So we're now approaching our second year. It will be two years in July. And it's just absolutely blown me away. And I'm loving it. Honestly, you've got no idea how much I'm loving it because here's me, just a wee lad from a small fishing hamlet in the northeast of Scotland who is getting to, to talk at length to all his footballing heroes, you know, the the guys that I grew up with, supporting and adoring and then sort of getting to meet them as I became an adult and working in the media and I forged friendships with with journalists who adored my grandfather. So I've been very, very fortunate um, to have the family connection and people loved him. Um, People loved him in the game and he was loved and respected by his peers. He was just a great football man and he's opened, his name has opened many, many doors for me. And through using his name, I've forged friendships with Lisbon Lions, you know, who all knew my grandfather. Um, So I've been very, very fortunate um, to have the family connection. but where it came in most handy was when um, I first met Sir Alex Ferguson in a professional capacity. So I got my job at MUTV. Sorry, guys, if I slightly digress and, and take up your, your podcast right. time here. Um, 
so obviously I'd met him when he was manager of Aberdeen um, as a child, but when you meet someone as an adult, it's completely different. So it was my first day at MUTV. We'd just won the treble. And my first job was to interview him at the old Cliff training ground. And I was with the girl who was going to be my uh, co-presenter on this new show that we were doing for MUTV. I swear to God, I could not sleep the night before. I really couldn't. I was all over the shop and I was I, I was writing my questions out and then I was putting a, a big black line to them and writing them again. And I just didn't want to offend his incredible football knowledge. And I just didn't want to come across as some silly little teeny bopper that wants just to be in a boy band and is now trying to forge a career in the media. So I, I really wanted to make an impression of him. And I just thought to myself, I'm going to use my grandfather's name here. So if I can take you back to a wee story. So in 1974, the chairman of St. Mimin at the time was a guy called William Todd. And he knew my grandfather very, very well. And he called him one afternoon and they had a telephone conversation about who should be the new manager of St. Mimin. And my, my grandpa said to Mr. Todd, I think you should look at a young man called Alex Ferguson, who's currently at East Ellingshire. Wow. I, think he could, I think he could be the man for you. So fast forward a few days, Mr. Todd um, met Alex Ferguson and basically offered him the job. So I relayed this story back to Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson um, on the day that I met him. But I went in and uh, I was sat down in, in the wee room and I was really, really nervous, and I'll never forget it. The, 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 my co-presenter's name was Jeanette, and she gave me a dig, gave me a proper dig with her elbow. I was like, Will you just calm down? And it was the best thing she could have done, because I, honestly, I was in bits. <laughs> he came in, and what I remember about him was he was smaller than what I remembered, you know? And uh, But this, this aura about him, and uh, I just, oh, my God. So Jeanette introduced herself firstly, was totally charming. And then um, I introduced myself and I, I, I said to Mr. Ferguson, I said, um, uh, you, you, you used to know my grandfather very well. And he said, who was your grandfather? And I said, his name is John Begg from Bishop Briggs. He was a, an old football journalist. And I swear to God, as I'm telling you now, his, his whole body language changed because he's quite stiff and a bit upright and very, he's got this authority about him. It's, he's kind of just, his shoulders kind of dipped a wee bit and he is, is, it's like his eyes almost lit up. And he said to me, are you his son? And I said, no, 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 he's, I'm, I'm his grandson. And he said, Johnny Begg, Bishop Briggs, freelance football reporter. I said, yes. And he was like, Jesus Christ, son. And then he said to, he, he looked to, the girl who was his, his, the, who was the head of PR, whose name is Di Law, who's Dennis Law's daughter, and said, Di, can you give Ali and I just a few minutes? So he took me up to his office at the cliff. He made me a cup of tea. That's my claim to fame, by the way. So Alex Ferguson made me a cup of tea, and he sat me down, and for the next 10 minutes, he waxed lyrical about my grandfather to me. I swear to God, I was in heaven. Um, I, I'm sorry for dropping names, guys. I'm not no, one no, for dropping no. names, but I, I just think it's a nice story. And um, a, my relationship from there with him was, was amazing. It, and I didn't see him very often, 
you know, I was five years at Manchester United TV and I think I saw him maybe about a dozen times and I only got to interview him twice. And you always know when you've made the gaffer happy that day or the boss, as we used to call him, because he would say to you at the end of the interview, if he said to you, well done, you knew that you'd done well. If you walked up and he never said those two words, then you know he wasn't overly happy with you. So it was almost like when you're coming to the interview, at the end of the interview, please say well done, please say well done. You know? And you would go back to the office and the first question would be, did he say well done? You know, and um, So you knew if he, if he said well done. And if you look back in his old interviews, just look back and you can just, as he walks away, he'll occasionally just give a wee well done. Um, and I got that from him every time I interviewed which was only twice and um, he pulled me aside one day when I, I told him I was I was leaving to go and join Satanta and I, I was in I was in two minds about it because I was going to join Celt at the time I was going to join Rangers TV and I I, I really didn't want to do it. It, it it wasn't for me but I was at a stage in my life where I needed to get back to work and um, so I, I really didn't know what to do so he said to me look keep an open mind about it uh, go up to Glasgow, meet them, and then when I see you, tell me how you got on. And it was when I went up to Glasgow and they offered me the Celtic TV job. So I was actually okay about that. And he gave me wonderful advice. And as we bid our sort of our fond farewells, he, he just took a hold of me and he put his arm around me and he said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Just one piece of advice when you, when you go. Just don't ever change. Don't ever change. Don't change always. Stay as you are. Don't ever change. And I won't. And I haven't. Um, and it's something that's always stayed with me. You know, you wrote the forward for my book. You know, it was just one of the biggest thrills of my life. And um, uh, he found, when he found out my father died, he wrote to me, you know. And again, it's just just very, very touching. And I'm just, I'm, I don't know what I've done to deserve it. Um, I'm just really, really blessed uh, to, to have been able to call upon these guys and for the blogs and sort of, forge friendships with these guys and you know I just the one I put out yesterday was Stephen Glass you know I got a, an absolutely unbelievably lovely message from his wife this morning Carla who said you know I sat and watched him on the balcony and talking to you and I've never seen him like that with anybody before uh -huh. um, so for you to be able to get him to open up in the way that you did um, she said it was amazing to sit and, and listen to him talk to you which is really, really touching for me. So, um, so sorry I slightly digressed, um, Tom, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with the way that it's going. And uh, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to eventually plan to, to branch out, you know, not just talk to guys from, from Aberdeen and maybe start talking to some of my old pals from the Lisbon Lions and all these guys, you know. We'll see. That's, that's for the future. So sort of, sort of back to the... The, the focus on question um, who would be your number one guest that you would like to interview oh Sir Alex Sir Alex yeah um, I've tried <laughs> <laughs> um, with no luck so far but I'll, 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 I'll keep trying but I think he would be he would be my number one man do you know honestly I've, I've when I've attempted to, to, to get to him I've said look I'll, I'll, I'll fly over you know, and even if you just give me half an hour, it will be worth it for me to be able to sit down in front of him and, and ask him questions, which I would like to think that nobody's asked him before, 
which has probably been slightly arrogant uh, on my part, but I would like to think that I can use all the information that I've been able to collate through the old blogs by speaking to all his former players who have given me just some absolute golden nuggets. I might be able to spin it and, and that information that they've given me and turn it into a question that maybe he's, he's not been asked before. Does that, am I making sense here? Yeah. I mean, he must have been asked every question any interviewer could ever have thought of. So to yeah. get that sort of personal testimony from players, one of the things I loved about him, any, any, anyone that played for him, he remembered their birthdays, their wife's names, their dad's birthdays. He was, he was, he was unbelievable. His, his preparation was, was even more so than Steve. Yeah. His attention to detail is incredible. He, I got to know, uh, Darren Fletcher was here came out to Doha. I hadn't seen Darren for many, many years. And he, he came over to the house and, and spent the whole day with us and had dinner with, with Miriam and I and the boys. And we were talking about him and we were exchanging stories, you know, howling with laughter. And uh, he said, he will remember every single name of every single child from the under 12s right through to the youth team he knows their parents by their, both parents, by their first yeah. names, the brothers, the sisters, everything. He knows all the detail because he wants to make people feel special. Mm. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's, 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 an, he's an amazing, an amazing man. That was, that was excellent. <laughs> that was excellent. I'd like both of you to go to this website, if it's okay, Celtic, CelticMatchDay.com. I don't know if you, any of you have looked at it before, so... The, the podcast is sponsored by CelticMatchDay.com and what they do is it's an archive of uh, scanned programmes from the yeah. past. So what, what, we, what we tend to do for, for them is, is just pick up one out and, and just, you know, have a wee quick look through it. So if, if you let me know once you're on the page, so CelticMatchDay.com and we're yeah. going to go for 1982 and we'll look at Celtic versus Aberdeen from the 9th of October 1982. 9th of October, yeah. Right, so if we just... Oh, I know exactly what game you're talking about here. <laughs> um, so if we open that up... I'm not going to enjoy this one as much. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you're talking about here. So so this, this I've is... Got, I've got that programme. <laughs> I was at this game. I know where this There's Danny Creaney. Who does that? Yeah. So, as I say, this CelticMatchDay.com scan all these in, and as we always say as well, it's not just for Celtic fans to look through, it's for fans of all clubs, you know, because you'll find Aberdeen stuff in there, you'll find European stuff, you'll find smaller clubs, home and away as well, so it's a great resource for that. Things like, and it's not just the football as well, so just um, like three pages in, or four pages in, and it's like, it says, it brings back Saturday opening, and it's an advert for a, a Bank of Scotland auto teller, and it says, with the introduction oh, yeah. of cash dispensing, auto tellers outside our, our branches comes a new kind of freedom. So this is back when the cash machines were just coming out as well. Yeah, yeah. As Ali says, there's a take a break with Danny Craney, who we spoke about in, in yeah. the magazine here. Looking back five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and then the match. So we've got the Celtic Aberdeen teams. Now, let, let me know about this, Alec, because there's one or two games, I think, this was this the one Mark McGee scored when he broke the offside trap? Right, Mackin uh, scored a penalty, Neil Simpson, and then, yeah, Mark McGee scored the third and final goal. Because I think I might have been at this game. I think my dad may be taking me to this game. And, and then to a second game, I don't know if it was before or after, where Billy McNeil and Darren McGrain were both sent off. 
against Aberdeen as well. Aye. Don't know if you okay. remember that game as well. I'm sure it was around about here. But yeah, I mean, just look, look at the Aberdeen team there. Leighton, Kennedy, uh, Rugby, Cooper, yeah. McLeish, Miller, Strachan, Simpson, McGee, Bell, Weir, McMaster and Hewitt. Well, if you think about it, that was the team that only a few months later would go on to lift the Cup Winners' Cup. Mm-hmm. Incredible, mm-hmm. incredible. And is it, looking at all the mix in the, the Celtic, McCluskey, McLeod, McGavin, McStay, McAdam, McGrain, lots of McNeil. David Moyes, unbelievable. David Moyes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And Graham Sinclair as well. I love Graham Sinclair, he's a cracking player. He eventually ended up being a news agent in, in Love Street, as you would be news agents at Love Street. Ah, you really? Here, going, do, do Graham Sinclair? Lovely guy. He had a great European match. Was he not? Uh, against Ajax. Yeah. Ajax it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He kept them out. Cool. But um, yeah, but great, both great teams, but what an Aberdeen, what an Aberdeen team. Doogie that's Bell, Doogie Bell. Doogie. That's the best. That's that, that's the best Aberdeen team for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the best strips as well. It was oh, like just that cracking. Yeah. Just there was, there was a bit. There was about three or four Aberdeen strips in a row. Even as a Celtic fan, I thought that is a beautiful strip. The Adidas strips all the way through. They were magical jerseys. I think certainly Aberdeen have had some cracking strips, and even that that yeah. badge with it, just using the the goal frame mm-hmm. as part of the badge. Yeah, just yeah. Un- clever. Who, 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 who came up with that? That was so well done. But yeah, so CelticMatchDay.com, as we say, it's it's a it's a great place just to lose yourself for, for a half an hour, twenty minutes, a bit longer great. probably. Just go in, pick a year, you know, on random, or if you've got something you want to look for, go in as well. It's all that on there. It's all free. Just go in there, CelticMatchDay.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Celtic underscore Matchday as well. I know we're we're running a bit think short of time here, but there's just one more thing I want to pick out from the magazine, and it's on pages 40 to 41. It's actually on page 41, I think. Now, actually, there's two things since we're looking at it. So if we look at 40 and 41. So the first thing is on page 40 at the bottom, there's a photograph there, and it's of Neil Kinnock, and he's, mm-hmm. he's actually having a kickabout with his son Stephen um, before a school mm-hmm. team match. And it says, in the, in the tradition of all great left-wingers, Labour Party leader Neil Kinnock puts his best foot forward in the battle for victory. It says, actually, the leader of the opposition was leading the cheers for his son, Stephen, pictured here before a school team match. Somehow, I can't imagine Margaret Thatcher showing quite as much enthusiasm for our national sport. Mm. Oh, we dig. Mm. Oh, we dig. Quite right. But the other yeah. thing I want to, and maybe maybe you had this book out, Ali. So on the next page, it says, it's um, Aberdeen book. So it's the first article on the next page, and it says, the story of Aberdeen's success at home and in Europe last season is now available in book form. Here We Go is named after the Pataudry supporters' favourite song and captures all the excitement of the Dons' success in the European Cup, Winners' Cup and, Sc- <laughs> and Scottish Cup, just as Ali shows us that book. Written by journalist <laughs> Keith Anderson of The Scotsman, whose father Chris is the Aberdeen Vice-Chairman. It costs £3.95. <laughs> the first question I've got to ask you is, it says, Here We Go is named after the Pataudry supporters' favourite song. It's not really a song, is it? Here we go, 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 here we go. There's no way you're claiming that. You can see why I was in a boy band, right? That's a B-side. That's absolutely brilliant that you have that handy so so quickly there as well. So, yeah, written by Keith Anderson. Is that Jock Steen in the middle? Brilliant. Brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. 
three pound ninety five. Yeah, Mr. Dolly, that's Mr. Farry from the yeah. SFA. That's them on their way to Gotham. Brilliant! I love that jacket, that Alex Ferguson jacket as well. You want know, it rain soaked and jumping off the bench? Yeah. I I think that jacket is on a well known site where you can buy stuff. Really? At the I moment? believe it is. I believe it is. So here's a question, Ali. That was £3.95 at the time. Would you rather have a pillowcase or that book? An, Ab- an Aberdeen pillowcase or that book for the your £3.95? I'd have the book. Yeah. It's got to be the book. Yeah. Is that what you're asking me? Would I rather have the book, the book or, or the, the pillowcase? pillowcase? If, if you've got £3.95 to spend back then, what would you have taken? The, the book. book. <laughs> okay listen we're getting towards the end here but um so i'm just going to give a shout out to the the charity partner that we we team up with and it's called back on side who i'm sure you probably all heard of back on side here in the uk one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year mental health includes a person's emotional psychological and social well-being an obvious widespread problem yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So that's backonside.co.uk and at Backonside uh, on Twitter. Now I encourage, if you're listening to this, to, to go follow them, go to the website, support them if you can, donate to them if you can. If you can't donate, just help them out share their message, give them support. Certainly in these times, you know, it's needed more than ever. So back on side. One of the things we do as well, Ali, is we we put together a a package, a, like a, a goodie bag sort of thing, and it includes the original magazine from the show, and we'll throw in some other stuff as well. And what we do is we, on, on the website, so there'll be a web page going along with this that has everything from the magazine that we spoke about and links to videos and things like that. So you'll be able to, follow that as you're listening along but on that there'll be a donate button for every pound that you donate it will give you a virtual raffle ticket that you know when we get to the end of the season we'll, we'll draw and whoever wins it gets the the goodie bag as well and 50 percent of that will go to back on side and 50 percent will go to the podcast to help keep it running but as i say if you want to just go donate to either the podcast or back on side more importantly and um, then please do that you know don't feel obliged to to do it through our website. CelticMatchDay.com, who sponsored the show, please check them out. I'd also like to say a special thanks, as we do, to Pete Wiley and the Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues and the music of the show. And you can catch up with Pete on PeteWiley.co.uk. And we'd also like to thank our producer, Diane Jarden, for ongoing support on the podcast. And that's at TransmissionRoom.co.uk where you can book music recording rehearsal facilities. And I know for a fact that she's been busy during the the lockdown. She's been busy um, painting it up and sprucing it up and stuff. So when everything's okay and we can all go back to work, then please check out Transmission Room and you'll get absolutely great service from from Diane there as well. So on that, listen, Ali, I'd like to thank you very much for, for giving us your time. And it's been it's been great to, to speak to you and see you in person. I feel as though I've known you for many years, so... I, I love following your stuff. I love reading your your blogs, and I particularly like the wee the wee things you used to get. The I haven't seen them for a while, but you used to get the 
the players or the the person to to do a little scripted thing. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. just guessing it was scripted. I mean, it may have all been natural. <laughs> Totally natural, yeah. of course. Where, where they all turned <laughs> out to be closet Aberdeen all of them, supporters, all, all long lost Aberdeen fans. <laughs> Who would have thought? Eh? So, but it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Th- thank you for coming on and oh, shooting listen, the breeze with us. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's something I always thoroughly enjoy doing is looking back um, at such great memories. So, thank you very much for for allowing me to come on and reminisce. Thank you. And um, as part of the, the website we're doing, what I'll do is I'll be in touch with you as well and we'll get all the links on that that you want to share on this as well. We'll get it put on the website at the same time as we release it. So I'll, I'll be in touch with you about that. But if, if there's anything you want to give a shout out to just now? You know, just to, <laughs> j- just to fully endorse what you said about the guys at back on side, just doing a, a phenomenal job at the moment. Um, also, we'd very much like to give a shout out to Gary Dempsey, um, who has been doing a great deal on Twitter recently to to help people who may be struggling with mental health issues, um, who maybe feel that they are too shy to talk about issues. I think he's been doing an, an unbelievably good job on Twitter. And I'm glad that he's um, he's now working with the guys from back on site as well, because uh, it's, 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 a, it's an important message that we want to put across, especially at the moment where a lot of people are feeling very, very isolated and feeling vulnerable. So I fully endorse um, what you were saying before, Andy. Absolutely. Brilliant. Right. So on that, I'd also like to say thank you to Simon for, for um, making his appearance. It's been great to see you again, Simon. And, it's a and... cameo. <laughs> it's a cameo role. <laughs> it's always a cameo role. <laughs> just, 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 just half the fee. Right? Just half the fee. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to Tom for being Tom. Yeah, thank you, and good to speak to you, Ali. Thanks for coming on. Oh, pleasure, Tom. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely talking to you. And I, I was going to say, actually, on, on your website, I like the uh, that goal feature. I think that could even be a book. And yeah. it's and it mm-hmm. that players talking about their, their favourite goals that they scored or their particular no, yeah, no did, goals. Do you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, somebody else said that to me the other day, um, and it's just something that completely slipped my mind. And I should really get myself back into doing a few of those um, because there are so many that we could talk about, isn't there? Yeah, um, absolutely. And so many people out there. So, no, you're quite right. And thank you for reminding me. And I will endeavour to do better with that one. <laughs> Good shout. Thanks to everyone for, if you're listening to the podcast, as we always say, please share it amongst your friends. Give us some feedback. Get involved with it. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Shoot the breeze.